Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help raise your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hello, everyone. This is Hallie. And this is Allison. And welcome to Ruined, a podcast where we ruin a horror movie just for you. Just for you. Allison, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I had to get my photo taken the other day, which is always just like a very terrible feeling. Are we talking headshots? Are we talking like headshot you style, know? like promo photos? And I was just like, oh, I hate this. This is terrible. What did you do? I mean, like, did you, one, did you put makeup on? Of my yeah, first question. I did, like, Two, what did you wear? I, and I wore, like, my own, like, I was, like, it had to be, like, a simple version of me. It's for, like, a show thing. How could, I, how could you get any simpler? You know what I mean? I know. It's That's just, like, question. I know. I was just, like, I was, like, blue shirt, black jeans, <laughs> black shoes, like, just so plain. But, like, it was, like, raining and then it was like a Sunday morning. It just felt like this. I was just like, and then it ended up being great, and the pictures came out great. And I'm like very, very oh, happy that it all like the turnaround was wonderful. The photographer, every, everybody involved was great. And like I just was dragging my feet on it because I hate the entire process of getting your photo taken. It's just such an awful experience. It's it's really, and I think you know this sort of tying in with social media. It's sort of like the onerous task of having to think about yourself from the outside. Yes, and having that's to what imagine. It is what that looks like and how to make yourself look like you want to look. Yeah. Horrifying. Horrifying. And there's, like, real horror elements to, like, a photo. It's like, I don't know, something is, like, capturing your image and, like, I, there's just, like, and even though soul. it's, like, in and your soul. Um, it's, like, I don't show up in the photographs. Um, it's just a <laughs> Yeah, blank. that would make it really hard to take headshots. I do not <laughs> appear in any photographs. <laughs> um, but it ended up being fine. How are you? I'm good. Um, I went to beautiful San Francisco. Ooh, it was really lovely for love work. San Fran. Um, yeah, yeah, no complaints. Um, I except I, I have I currently have a job where I, when I took it, I forgot um, how much I'd be flying, and boy, mm-hmm. do I hate flying. I don't. I'm always very stressed out. Yes. I don't like being in the sky. I can't sleep. Well, like I can't sleep on the plane because any I can't sleep like, on a plane turbulence. I'm up, and I am assuming yes. You know, it's it's happening. The thing that I'm afraid of is finally happening. Yes. Um, so once I, before and after flying, great, totally fine, great trip. During the flying, hurtling through the sky uh, against the will of, of God. It, it just don't <laughs> care for it um, whatsoever. Yeah. I haven't flown in a bit, and I'm going to again soon, and I just am not looking forward to it. And I think also the older I get, the more anxious I get about flying. 
Yeah, I feel like I go through waves of it where it's like I'm more in denial. Okay, everything in the world is similar where it's like, I'm having a great day because I've put into a little box all of the horrible things that are going Mm -hmm. on. Yes. And speaking of flying, I just, I was reading something where basically there's a, um, a jet blue pilot that they um, stopped right before they went to go fly. Yes. Um, they were about to take off for a, a trip to Florida and was uh, had like four times the yes. legal limit of alcohol in their blood. Yes. It was in the cockpit. Yes. Yes. When, when he was removed. And it's like, boy, I didn't even think about that. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. sure, you have a drink. We all have a drink on an airplane, but to be like, the pilot is drunk. Right. And not just drunk, like, like, very drunk. And apparently a TSA officer was the one who noticed and, like, alerted whoever, like, the, police, the authorities or whoever. So it's like, somebody who worked in TSA had to be like, oh, God, I'm pretty sure oh the God, pilot's drunk. drunk. Oh, God. Like, also, what a terrible thing to realize. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then hey, it's like, every flight it. I get on. Yeah. Right, now yeah. Now I'm worried about that. <laughs> yeah, you look down, you're flying the plane. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm drunk, too, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, um, other than that, I'm great. Other than that horrifying news story. We're both doing terrific. Um, and we've been uh, asking or really pleading and begging with you guys demanding. to leave us. Demanding, instructing you to leave five-star ratings with spooky reviews. Um, and we're reading some of the spookier ones on the podcast. And this one came in uh, a couple days ago from listener Totally Waddies or Waddies. <laughs> Who knows? Great. Uh Five stars. A great distraction. Thanks for giving me something to listen to while I do my work. I strap on my headphones when I make my way from closet to closet, doing my work. I hope your closets are next. <laughs> I love this. It's, it's great. so it's like, vague. It's so vague. And I think, like, there's something about, like, things that are that vague that are— it's incredibly scary because the, you know— the opportunities are limitless for what that could be. Oh, yeah, your mind fills in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Your mind does mm-hmm. the work. And I, 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 this person knew what they were doing because the period, capital D, doing my work, period, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. what you're like, oh, what is the work? And it's like, I'm not going to tell you. I simply will repeat again, doing my doing work. Doing my and work. I'm hoping that you are the Kim Kardashian before she made a big, remember when she used to be Paris Hilton's closet organizer? Yes. Yes, like I stylist hope, assistant. <laughs> yeah, I hope that you are simply organizing everyone's closet. I hope that mm-hmm. our closets are next too, because we really need it. Oh boy, do I need closet organization? That would be a dream. Um, so thank you so much, totally Waddies. Um, that was totally great, and we really appreciate totally it. Totally great. Uh, we are you. continuing our found footage month this month, and we had so many people recommend this one that we're, we didn't have time nor the energy to collect everyone's name, but we, you know who you are, baby. Um, <laughs> and the movie is a movie I had not seen until I watched it for today, and it is Lake Ooh. Mungo. And it is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, of course, we always like to have Elson watch the trailer for the film, the film being 2008's Lake Mungo. Allison, what are your thoughts having just seen the trailer? This is not my favorite trailer. <laughs> this trailer. It's like because so little is happening, they mm-hmm. sit on the image of the ghost of the girl in the background of the scene for like mm-hmm. what I think was 45 seconds just on her face. It is, I would say, chilling is the word yeah. I would like to use. <laughs> I did not like watching that. It is dark out here. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it's really well done. It is like one of these like like mockumentaries, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, this footage was put together into this it, it, investigation of what happened. But I think because it is, it's played so realistically and so close to, you know, a, a, a documentary we've all watched a million times, um, right. it's so much more effective. And, it's, it, right. and part of it is kind of that dateline, like, well, we have one photo, so we're going to show you it a million times. Yes, yes. I that, just, that really like, is effective. And this isn't, um, like, based on a true story, right? No. It is I not feel like based with found story, footage, but it has that feeling. It's yeah. so easy to automatically assume that just because it looks like, you know, realism instead of, like, a narrative film. Hey, you know what? If you want to go ahead and tell yourself that, I, I would go ahead. Mm. <laughs> you know what's so interesting? Because I was trying to be like, oh, so what else did the director direct? It was written and directed by Joel Anderson. He has never made, as far as I could tell, another film. Oh. Until, well, and he still hasn't. And I was like, that's so strange. I mean, it's Australian. I mean, I don't know what their film industry is like. I don't know. Sure. Maybe it's harder to get in. I don't know. You think you'd come over here. But interestingly, so last thing he wrote, he wrote like a, a, grav- a short about Gravity, the movie from 2013. And then he's working as a script editor on Clickbait, which is a move, a show that came out last year. Oh. And it's with, um, what is his name? Uh, Adrian Grenier. He is, oh. in, it's a Netflix show. I, sh- I, I saw it. I was like, oh, I'd watch that. I didn't. And he was, he's kidnapped. And mm-hmm. his imprisonment is, is filmed and put on social media. And he has a little sign that says, oh. and five million views, I die. And oh. the tagline is father, husband, brother, liar. So it's like, okay. I would watch that. I do. <laughs> exactly. I would like to know. But how interesting. And, and I try to Google, like, oh, well, what was Jill Anderson? You know what I mean? Like, right. plenty of people leave the industry. That's completely normal. Couldn't find anything. I found one article that was like, oh, are you wondering what happened to like Mungo director Jill Anderson? And I click on it, and the whole article's like, boy, it'd be nice to know, wouldn't it? It's like, don't, why did you write this when you have no information about where this person yeah. is? No. That's... But he's doing, he did work on Clickbait, which came out last year, so he's, he's working, working. And we we wish him well. Um, I, I Hopefully nothing horrifying is happening to him um, in the meantime. Um, and so before we begin of reading the movie, we like to take a baseline scary Allison, how scary do you find the concept of not really knowing your closest family members and, like, what they're going through? Oh, I mean, secrets are terrifying, especially finding secrets out later. <laughs> secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets, secrets, secrets hurt, someone. hurt someone. That's the tagline of Leg Mungo. Yes. Okay, great. And I will say, watch this movie. I'm like, uh, the, the subtitle of this is Lake Mungo colon, white people come on. Like, just talk to each other. Yes. Share, teach your children to share their emotions. Yes. Yes. You, it's, so even if you don't know how to do it, you can still help them. You know what I mean? Uh, but ain't nobody doing that. And um, this is a movie about sort of what, what a family discovers after someone has passed away. And um, we also like to have Allison, of course, guess the twist based on the limited information you have. Allison... Would you like to guess the twist in Lake Mungo? Guess the twist. I feel like the twist will be about how she died. Like, maybe she, mm. um, it looked like an accident, but wasn't. Great. That's my Love guess. Love it. That someone killed her. 
And it, Excellent and it looks guess. like an accident. A phenomenal guess. I thank you. An educated guess after all mm-hmm. these weeks. Yes, after all these weeks. So let us begin by ruining like Mungo. <clears throat> so we open on a sort of voiceover. We we hear the voice of Alice, um, 16-year-old girl. We hear her saying, I feel like something bad is going to happen to me. I feel like something bad has happened. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. Then we hear Jason, another teen, Alice's classmate. He says, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it makes people feel better making up ghost stories. And we hear Jason's sister, Kim, say, Alice kept secrets. She kept the fact she kept secrets a secret. It's like, okay, well, that kind of goes without saying, Kim. That's what a secret is. Nobody's like, like, wow. I have a secret. And then, like, just walks around, like, hey, everyone, I have a devastating secret, but I'm not telling. (laughs) And then finally, we hear Alice's mother, June, who says, you have to blame yourself or else there's nothing to hold on to. And then finally, we get to the sweetest plum. Text on the screen. Oh, text on a screen. And we hear, here's what it reads. December I feel like you just want a book. <laughs> you love text on a screen. It's like, Wait that's a, a minute. Like, read a book, Hallie. <laughs> I mean, I do like any, like, if there's text on the screen or they go to a book. So I guess really I do love a I book. I do like that, too. I mean, I agree with um, you. I also, I was like, have I read a physical book ever in the last four years? No, but I do listen to audio books. So that's all. Yes. That's close enough. Yeah. In December 2005, a tragic accident began a series of extraordinary events that threw a grieving family in a small Victorian town of Ararat into the media spotlight. This film is a record of those events. So I guess you're right, Allison. It is saying it's a true story, which, again, iconic. But, like, is th- but that's fake, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Like, it's or like the, the it? idea, like, obviously you have to buy into the, like, trueness for yes. found footage to work. I think we're going for more of a paranormal activity. You know what I mean? Where Got it's it. like, less. Well, you're yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, less uh, Texas Chainsaw based on true events, which of course it was sure. not. Right. Um, Got it. Just, okay. So it is December 21st, 2005, and we hear the audio of June, who is Alice's mother, calling 911, sobbing. Alice has gone missing up at the Norville Dam while she was there with her family, Mother June, Dad Russell, and her brother Matthew, who's like, they're like a year apart. So like, Alice is 16, maybe Matthew's 17, but like they're like okay. older teens. They're up Got there it. swimming at the dam. And we see news footage of divers searching for Alice's body. But Allison, they're not finding her, unfortunately. And so we interview, mm-hmm. we we meet her brother, Matthew, and he's telling the documentarian that he got out of the water because he was cold, but he assumed Alice was right behind him. And then once he's on the beach, everyone realizes no one can find Alice. And they have, we have oh, no. footage of from that day that Matthew recorded of Alice on the beach, and she's sort of like, she's wearing a bucket hat, and, you know, they're having fun. And mm-hmm. then we mm-hmm. sort of see on the news the search and rescue team search dredging the, uh, the dam, basically, dredging sure. the lake. And they tell Alice's family, well, go home. It's, it's you know, nightfall. We're going to keep looking, but you don't have to stay here. So they kind of just have to drive home and wait, which I imagine is the worst shit you could possibly go through. It's like, okay, great. We'll drive home and wait Uncertainty there. is, like, almost worse than tragedy yes. sometimes. And we meet family friend and June's coworker, Georgie, and her father or husband, I'm not clear, Leith. Oh, Great. And June's parent, I, parents, Iris and Garrett. So Iris and Garrett are there, and they say, they called us immediately, and we started to make our way down to Ararat. 
And Grandpa Garrett said, it was the worst night of our lives. And everyone's playing, everybody in this is, a, I think, a very good actor for the most part. And then playing it very is realistically. Is this in the UK? Is that where it is? It's in Australia. Australia, okay. Yeah, so there's like big, beautiful, like sort of like big skies, mountains, and then like mm-hmm. dry, shrubby grass in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sort of like when I picture Australia, it's sort of a, a prototypical Australian sort of yes. small town. And Grandpa Gary said it was the worst night of our lives. And it's like, oh my God, like just truly horrifying to like yes. get that call and be like, we don't have any information. It's not even that somebody died, it's that they're gone. So the documentarian is interviewing, you know, sort of other people that that knew Alice and including her boyfriend, Jason, her fellow classmate and his sister, Kim. And of course it's like, Everyone loved Alice. Like, Alice lived the room. Alice was cool. She was fun. Like, you know, nothing but great things to say about Alice. Mm -hmm. And we meet uh, Alice's dad, Russell, and he tells them, like, you know, it's so funny. Like, that first night we left the porch light on, and now we Mm -hmm. keep it on every night. And the interviewer is like, well, why did you do that? It's like, I think just in case she comes, comes home. And it's like, we just left it on, and it was like, well, we can't turn it off, you know, even though we're about to find out. Allison, at 9.25 that night, after they already go home, they find Alice's body at the bottom of the lake. Okay. She is dead. And Russell went with June to go identify her body, but then June stayed in the car. Like, she couldn't bring herself to go identify Alice's body. And Russell's basically like, that was a mistake because it didn't give June the closure she needed. I felt like I was there for my daughter in this horrible moment. I identified her with I identified her body body and also I saw her and it allowed me to not have closure but like be there for in a way that uh, I feel like it has allowed me to start healing. June mm-hmm. didn't see that, so there is still part of her that's just sort of raw and open about the whole experience. And okay. then Allison, you see Alice's corpse, and it's the worst. And they show it multiple Drowning times. Drowning corpse this movie. is the worst corpse for sure. And, and it's like gray and bloated, and her mouth is open, and it's full of like black, like mud. Like it mm-hmm. looks like she's screaming. It's awful. Like her yeah. hair is all wet. And they're saying like in this other we like just remembering the sequence of the day. It's like our, on our way back from the morgue, the car stalled. And the only way to get it to drive, we either had to walk to, like, a gas station or I could drive in reverse. So they had to drive back to town in reverse. And I think there's a lot of really great details where it's like, there's no Mm -hmm. reason that happened. It's just sort of like, of course, something like that would happen. And you remember that night, not only did I do this, but I did, yeah. And so they drive home. And so this is, like, right around the holidays. So it's uh, on December 27th. Alice had her autopsy, and in uh, on the 28th, they released the body. So basically, like, this happened on the 21st, so this was everyone's Christmas, like, in town. Like, yes. waiting oh, and, God. you know. I know. And Matthew was, her brother's like, I don't know, it didn't feel real. It just felt like, oh, I hadn't seen her for a week. You know, it didn't feel right. like, oh, she had died. And we see the church, and June describes death as the meanest, dumbest machine and I, I thought mm. that, what a great, like, way to describe it. It's like, yeah. it just, there's no thought to it. It just chews yeah. everyone up and and cycles us through, and, yeah. and then that's it. Ten days after the funeral, stuff starts happening around the house. We've got sounds coming from outside the window. We have movements mm. that seem like they're coming from Alice's room. Sounds on the mm. roof. The door to her bedroom keeps slamming in the middle of the night. So they rehang the door. They call a pest control person thinking, do we have termites? Do we have squirrels? Everything, the door keeps slamming. There's no pests. They keep hearing noises, you know. 
Right. And Georgie, June's work friend, is like, I don't know how you explain it, but like when you'd go over there, the house had this bad feeling, like this oppressive feeling. And I'm right. like, I, this is just me because I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a skeptic. But I'm like, yes. well, somebody's child died. Like, of yeah, course I, it doesn't feel good in the house. It's not, and it's not, it's going to feel like different than it did right before. Like, it's like the, yeah. the trauma has happened. Like, everybody's processing that. Like, and also somebody it'd be weird if it could, didn't feel that way. <laughs> Yes, that would be way worse. And somebody who contributed to the vibe of the house is no longer there. So it's also like yes. something that was there is gone. Absence. Of course, yeah. it's going to like give you this terrible feeling. June tells us she started having all these nightmares that were so distressing, and she'd wake up and see her daughter. Alice would come down the hall, still dripping from the dam, and just stand at the foot of our bed, just staring at us. It was it was um, quite terrifying. As I said, I didn't want to open my eyes. So by February, June's nightmares are so bad she would go for walks at night for hours just to avoid going to bed. And June admits that she would sometimes enter people's homes, and it wasn't like she wasn't like breaking and entering. It was just be like the middle of the night she would just like try people's doors and go in. Mm-hmm. And she t- says like it. I think I was doing it out of like I wanted to feel like I was so in someone else's life. Like, I wanted to be in another house, but I mean, this didn't happen. Like, from a psychiatric standpoint, I, like, understand that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, June, I don't, I, I don't know what Australia I'm mean, like, in America, I'd be very scared for your well-being here, June. Uh, yes, you'll get Knock shot. it off. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, you're like, oh, absolutely. Of course, that understands. Like, if you, if for some reason you were driven to do that, it's completely, I don't know. It's human. It's understandable. Um, we also meet Russell's coworker, Frederick, who knew the family, and— He's like, honestly, it was weird. Like, Russell just went back to work and, like, was really, like, he wasn't talking about it. And, like, I didn't know how to address it. And Russell's like, I feel guilty about how great I felt going back to work. But because the thing is, I had somewhere to go. Like, June wasn't working. So she had to just be in the house. So I get to, like, go. And I think he worked in construction. He's like, I get to just go and, like, do actual things and interact with people and sort of forget things. Yeah. And it's not like there's any reason to think of, like, you can, like, dive into work and it's not like, oh, something is missing because, like, she's your daughter. She wasn't part of work. Yes, exactly. It's something where you do not have to engage that part of your life until you get home. Mm -hmm. One night, Allison, he gets home in late February, and Russell tells us, I came home from work, and I was sitting in the kitchen, and I heard a noise coming from Alice's room. So he goes into her bedroom, and he sits in front of her dresser, and he's like, before I could even think, like, what did I come in here for? Alice walks into the room, (laughs) over to her desk, and starts sharpening a pencil while her Mm -hmm. dad's just watching this, and then she's checking her text messages on her phone. And... Al, he's, he, Russell God, says, it's even like in my daughter. we're going to be obsessed with our phones. <laughs> I know, exactly. And he's like, it was, my daughter, like, obviously didn't see me there, but, I, like, my shoes squeaked or I made a noise. And Alice looks up, and she just starts screaming, like, get out of my room. And so he ran out of my, I ran out of the room, and June and Matthew find Russell at the kitchen table just, like, sobbing. Mm-hmm. So we had this, like, terrifying, like, Break. Yeah. visitation. And the documentarian asks Frederick, Russell's work friend, you know, like, do you think he really saw a ghost? And Frederick's like, I don't know what it was, but I believe he saw something. Like, I don't think he'd make that up. So something is going on. Mm-hmm. Georgie tells us, well, I tried to talk to my church community about how to help the Palmers, but, you know, they aren't churchgoers, so I wasn't sure how to comfort them. It's like, Georgie, grow up. Oh, Make get over yourself. Invite, the, invite June out to coffee. Like, you That's know, very non-churchy like, to not be there for other people in need. I agree. And she even said, like, I don't know what June believes in. Well, she, you, she, maybe she believes in you being very nice to her. Call yes. her. Also, she doesn't flowers. need to believe in anything. Her daughter died, so just be right, a nice exactly. person. 
Yeah, be normal. Grow up, Georgie, is what I'm saying. Ugh, this bitch. But Georgie, I know, Georgie does flag, which, you know, it's like, I was mostly worried about Matthew because, you know, he was right near Alice's age and they were really close. And mm-hmm. everyone was worried about him because he really started to, like, spend a lot of time alone and retreat, which, again, I'm sure is super common if your sibling dies, you know. Of course. Um, the We also meet the family physician, Dr. Kevin Slatter, and... He says, uh, Matthew came into the doctor's office and he was covered in like very unusual bruising. Mm. And, you know, we were sort of asked, I tried to ask him like, is there any sort of abuse going on? Is, you know, like, were you in some sort of physical altercation of any kind? And then the bruises just healed a few weeks later and they never really got to the bottom of what was going on. Mm. We also meet Steve Wilkie, who's maybe one of my favorite characters. Uh, Matthew's best friend, and he works at, like, a tannery or a slaughterhouse. So he's just, like, moving right. hides around, like an SVU episode. Yes. You know, like, yes. throwing like stacking boxes. hides in a pile. Like- <laughs> and um, he's like, yeah, I usually stayed at, like, Matthew's house once or three, twice or three times a week, and we have a band together. Like, we were, con- he, he would come play at my, my house. Like, we were always together. And, you know, I had heard about June going into people's houses and, like, Matthew was already quiet and he was even quieter, but, like, he didn't really want to talk to me. And also, it's like, I'm a teenage boy. I don't, I'm not equipped for any of this. No. You know, like, I don't know what the hell to tell people. Um, meanwhile, uh, Georgie's husband, Leith, husband or hu- uh, father, I'm not sure, Leith yeah. tells us, you know, Matthew had always been interested in photography and he took photos all the time and had since the beginning of high school. And around this time, his interest in photography really started to blossom. And Matthew approached Clive, a local photographer with, like, his own business, to see if he could, like, intern or work part-time, you know. And Clive ended up hiring him, and he's like, Matthew has such a good eye, and he's very driven, and he's, like, very invested in learning about photography. And we see a bunch of Matthew's photographs, and they're starting out, like, very standard, like, oh, his house, and, like, becoming these more, like, manipulated photos of, like, the carcasses at the slaughterhouse, and... Mm -hmm. Matthew, like, shooting himself into a mirror, and there's, like, a bright flash. It's, like, a very, like, sort of, looks like a like an album cover or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, the interviewer asked Matthew, can you tell me about the photos of the backyard? And Matthew says, yes, like, I, before I even really got into this, like, I've been taking the photo, a same photo of our backyard at pretty much every three months for the last four years. And it was sort of like a challenge to be like, oh, I take it in the winter, I take it in the summer, I take it during, at dawn, yeah. you know, like, how many different photos could you make from the same exact composure Thing. and setup? And it's like just a normal backyard. It's cute. It's got like grass and a fence. Allison, no. in the April 28th, 2006 photograph, so about like four, four months after mm-hmm. Allison's death, mm-hmm. Matthew takes the same photo, and in it we see a figure. She's blurry, but she's got jeans and a jacket on. You can see she has long, dark hair. Baby, it's Alice's ghost. No. No. And the, doc- and nope. the documentarian is— was like, well, how was the mood in the house after that? And Matthew's like, well, it wasn't good, but yeah, I bet. But it was better than before because it kind of gave us all something to focus on. Like it was sort yeah, of like instead oh, of just like languishing in your like grief. Right, exactly. Like death, horrible enough. It's like, oh, we might have evidence of a ghost, something to sort of, you know, that's a there's a little bit more to dig into. Full activity. We then meet another one. I love every name in this movie. We then meet mm-hmm. Bob Smeet. And sure. Bob Smeet says he had also t- he took photos at Norville Dam on April 3rd. And then he got them developed a few days after. And in the background, it sure looks like Alice's ghost is there too in the trees. At least, or <sighs> the image of a dark-haired young woman. Mm-hmm. And they interviewed June. June's like, June's like, uh, well, the photos were 
incredibly discomforting. Yes. And <laughs> and June says, I became convinced that Alice was still alive. And Russell's like, okay, I didn't have any rational explanation for this, but I had seen Alice's body and June hadn't. And this is sort of all June needed to, to hear to sort of become convinced Alice is alive. Yes. And then we have to see poor Alice's waterlogged corpse again. Great. And June is, like, very honest. Like, I became convinced Russell made a mistake. He said himself, like, oh, it, it didn't look like anybody anymore. And it's like, okay, girl, but, like, I think he was trying to not tell, like, describe what your child right. looked like. You know what I mean? Right, because it's horrific. And Russell says, you know, like, June was so adamant. Like, I even I was like, oh, my God, like, what if it was another person? Like, I, you know, it did look good, and, like, I was under—I just assumed— it had to be her. It was a white girl with the dark hair. What if right. it had been somebody else? You know, like, what if she's right? And it's. I allowed myself to think, well, what if my wife is correct? So we right. see the news reports of Russell and June having Alice's body exhumed uh, in the presence of Dr. Slatter, the funeral director, and a representative from the coroner's office. Mm-hmm. A few days later, because it is the 2000s, they received the DNA results. It was Alice. Yes. You know, and so they both sort of, they're, they're sort of like they have to grieve all over again. You know, like they yeah. had this like yeah. moment of like, Ugh. what if somehow I know? And, and if somebody listens to a lot of true crime, there are so many stories like that where like people are talking and it's like, I mean, I'm not telling you to stop looking, but that the person it didn't just leave. You know, that person is right. dead somewhere. I'm so yeah. sorry. It's But like, I'm sure yeah. if that was my child, unless I knew. Yeah. And Russell said, you know, it's only then I realized, like, how invested I became in the idea that, like, they had, the, that it was someone else. And he's like, and that's the truth. I thought, like, I, I don't care if it's somebody else's kid who was ki- who who died, as long as it wasn't mine. Right. And it's like, oh, God, like, that's the thing, too. It's like, oh, hopefully somebody else's kid's dead. You know, like, what a horrible right. thing to have to hope. But it was Alice. And we sort of see video of her again at the beach of the dam, like, laughing and them, like, in their house, and, like, her dad's chasing her around with a lobster, like, before he's about to cook it. They're all, like, laughing. So Alice's body is finally reburied, but as June puts it, the question remains, who or what was in those photos? And yes, this is that not question tradi- very much remains. <laughs> exactly. And uh, we also have, like, these gorgeous shots of Australia, mountains, trees, moody skies over small towns, and Matthew says, you know, even after this all got, she was reburied, he continued to hear noises in the hallway of their home. So he set up a camera to film at night to see, like, if he could find anything. And in on June 13th, 2006, we see the extremely grainy footage of somebody walking from the lounge room to the front door. There seems to be, on <sighs> video, the image of a ghost in their home. Alice, right. I got to ask you. What would you do? What would you do? I would move. I okay. think that, like, you know, ghosts aren't real. I don't believe in them. However, like, when you are recovering from that kind of loss, like, I'm sure your brain plays enough trick, you know, your brain is struggling to process it, and it's super upsetting. Like, I think just even being in the house, like, you would think you're seeing her. You would think, like, it's like you have all of the physical memories around you and maybe, like, starting over somewhere else away from the site of the death, away from where you're are used to seeing her, like, would, and also maybe if ghosts are real, maybe she wouldn't want to travel (laughs) 
Right. That's a great question. Like, yeah, what are what are the limitations of a ghost? What can they do? What can they not do? Where could they appear to you? I guess the other thing is, like, if it is the ghost of your child, maybe you wouldn't want to leave because now you— if you leave, have, you will lose touch with it. Right. Like, maybe this is a good— th- But I'm just like, I don't think ghosts are good. And I also think, like, well, we— uh, Sort of our thing, our cultural understanding of ghosts is that they are people with unfinished business. And yes. I think this movie is sort of about, like, well, what business did maybe Alice have that was unfinished that her— that people who are still alive can help her sort of resolve? Mm-hmm. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. And um, the answer, of course, what would the family do is um, hire a psychic consultant Okay. Named Ray Kemeny. And we hear okay. Ray on Voice FM with host Ellen Bath, Great. Helen Bath. And we hear all these callers call in to sort of ask, so like career, medical problems, love. And we hear him consoling this caller named Annie. And he's like, someone important will return to you and it'll be a great solace to you. And June reveals that she had heard Ray on the radio and decided to get in touch with him. So June is still really committed to this. Have you know, like continuing this connection to her daughter, like figuring out is there a presence in the house? Mm-hmm. So Ray sits down with the documentarian, and he says, you know, about a third of my clients are people who are like sick or they're close to death, and they really just want reassurance. And I right. am happy to give it to them, since in his words, what happens after death is up for grabs, anyways. So he's like, I'm happy to tell them what they need to hear. Right. But you'd think if Ray was a real psychic, you'd think he'd be able to afford a slightly better hotel room because he's mm-hmm. having meetings with clients, including Annie, who we saw heard on the radio. It, it, it looks like um, the worst motel you've ever been into. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's like a little great. gross desk. Yeah. Just a bunch of junk in a bed. I mean, like, could you look forward to, like, the lottery or something? Like, is there a way to, like, for you to perceive reality? Yes. But he does, like, comfort her, and he's like, and I guess she has sort of medical problem. It's like, you are going to die, but that is just the start of something else. So, like, yes, death, you will die. We all die. But there is something else beyond death. And that is very comforting to many of his clients. Mm-hmm. And Jude said, like, I really liked Ray. He didn't seem, like, spooky or fake. And we see a video of Ray's consultation with June on June 15, 2006. And Ray says, I record all my sessions. I keep a copy, and then I give them a copy. And he puts June into a hypnotic state. And he has June close her eyes and sort of walk into her own house and see what she sees. And I thought it was very beautifully done where it's like we're having her narrate what she sees. And also we see we're having the documentary documentarian go through the house. So sort of we are going down the hall to Alice's room as June is envisioning it. And June says, I see Alice's sneakers outside the bedroom door, which is sort of like how we all knew when she was home. And June goes into Alice's room in her mind, and she sees Alice sitting in her wicker chair at the end of the bed. 
and June's eyes open, and, and she tells Ray he, he, she looks sad. Meanwhile, Russell's like, I'm I'm indifferent to psychics. I just didn't want them to come to dinner, but I know I meant a lot of June. So Ray comes right. over. The, Matthew and um, Russell meet him. And Ray suggests they do a seance. And Russell's like, don't do this. Like, I can mean, we just try to move heal on? Heal in, yeah, exactly. Uh, like, supposed to, like, try, like, uh, I don't think there are ghosts in the house, but, like, can we? So eventually Matthew talks Russell into doing it. June's already on board. And uh, Matthew records a seance, which occurs on June 20, 2006, and they all gather on the kitchen table, and Jude, they cut to June being like, well, we all thought the seance was a failure. So they get no <laughs> signs. Ray comes up with nothing. Allison, the next day when Matthew is looking at the vi- the footage again, he oh. sees an image of Alice, which we also see, standing at the end of the hallway outside of the kitchen. Yes. So they didn't see her, but we see this figure staying at the end of the hallway. Yes. And now Russell's like, okay, like, yeah. And Russell is finally coming around as like, well, this footage was different than like the hallway footage. Like the hallway footage was so blurry. You'd be like, is that mm-hmm. like a shadow or like a digital flaw? This right. was like a girl's Very face. clear. You know, yeah. like, and Ray tells us, I'll be honest, this is new territory for me. I'd never seen a ghost before. It's like, great, wow. Ray, coming great. in hot with a lot of help here. Not at your so, terrifying hotel room? You don't see any of the. I was like, yeah, I could count five ghosts in the five stains (laughs) on your mattress right here. Um, So Ray and Matthew um, set up three cameras to constantly record the inside of the home in different areas to try to catch Alice's ghost. Mm -hmm. And um, Georgie from, uh, you know, Church Church Georgie is like, well, there's a lot of speculations about Ray and the people at church presumably thought he was a fraud or, or real, but like we were doing some evil. Mm-hmm. And we also see Sergeant Drian, who was one of the officers who was helping lead the search and rescue for Alice's body. Okay. And Sergeant Drian's like, yeah, I'm very skeptical of the photos and of Ray in general. And Ray's like, I know what people think of me. They think I'm like some Rasputin figure. Like I'm taking their money. I'm doctoring the photos. You know, but he could see, like, I could really see Matthew was struggling. And something was happening inside that house. So I wanted to help them figure out what it was. So he was like, I really did, I I really believe that something was going on, and I I wanted to help Mm -hmm. them. When they review the footage after filming in the home, they find an image of Alice sitting in her wicker chair, like June saw in her sort of hypnotic trance. Yes. And her image reflected in the mirror in her room. And in the living room, in a smaller mirror, we also see the side of Alice's face face reflected. Russell says it best. We okay. were all gobsmacked by the footage. Yes, but before we that would even be shocking react, to see. Yeah, and and they're all like, "Oh my god, it's real!" And he says, "But unfortunately, before we could even react, the Withers video came out. So April third, so the same day Bob Smeet took his photos of yes. what seemed to be Alice in the Wood. Kathy right. and Doug Withers, they were out of the dam, and they also were like recording with their camcorder." And it wasn't until, like, months later they were looking at the footage and they realized they had also recorded a figure. And they had heard about the Bob Smeet photo. Look, everybody's heard about the Bob Smeet photo. Exactly. It's a small town. So Doug goes in and he's like, I got right in there and I zoomed in. (laughs) Like, he's like, oh, I was all about it. And we (laughs) see there is a person that is neither female nor is it Alice. Allison, who is the figure at the dam? I mean, I want to say it's Bob Smeet, but I don't think so. Um, the brother? 
Yes. Al, the mm. figure is Matthew. And you can sort of see when he walks away, like, it's he, the person has short hair, you know? Right. And Matthew's like, well, yeah, I was there, and I was wearing Allison's jacket, and I saw Bob Smee taking a photo. I didn't want to be in it, so I kind of, like, walked off. And But his dad's like, well, why would you not mention that? And um, yeah. his dad, because his dad's, like, smart, it's like, um, were you involved, like, in any of the other images? And Matthew says, I didn't want to lie to him, so Matthew reveals that he had faked all of it. <gasps> the doctored figure in the hallway, the reflections in the mirror, the seance image, and the doctored backyard photo. Matthew did all of it because he's become very skilled at photography. Wow. And he even shows the documentarian, I know, how he created the image. Like, he took, like, existing photos and existing footage of Alice and then sort of superimposed it. And then, like, mm-hmm. in the living room, he played the image on the TV, and the, the, the mirror was small enough, it just sort of cropped out the, the edge of the TV frame. Right. So it wow. just looked like her face. This guy could have a real and career. <laughs> I know. Um, and Matthew's like, well, I wasn't trying to trick anyone. And the documentarian's like, well, do you think that doing this may have made it harder on your mom like, to get over this? And Matthew's like, maybe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely it was. But like, I didn't, <laughs> that wasn't my intention. And he, what Matthew's rationale was, like, his dad had, or his mother had been uh, sort of consumed with the idea that Alice wasn't really dead and that right. Russell had misidentified Alice's body. Right. And Matthew's like, there needs to be an impetus for them to just exhume her body and confirm it was her because so she my would mother never, could get on. Yeah, it would just kind of loom over her and, like, probably drive her crazy. So. Exactly. I kind so of while understand was, that. Yeah, so while it was maybe it was it was it was it wasn't misguided, it was well guided, but maybe the wrong idea. Yeah, incredibly and deceitful. June's, yeah, June's like, I'm not so sure of his reasons. I don't know that I totally believe what he said. I'm just not convinced he knows why he did it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, there's I I mean, I think like both like he is telling the truth and also like maybe he didn't want her to be dead. You know, like he mm-hmm. wanted to he wanted to believe. And right. I think that's sort of true. Like Matthew wants to believe that they're our ghosts or that his sister's presence is in the house, even after he's the one doctoring all these photos, you know? Right. It's kind of like you hear about people who really believe in aliens, so they create fictional, like, fake evidence of aliens. Yes. To be like, well, I wanted to draw attention to, like, a very important subject. It's like, oh, right. boy, that's like you're that really doing the opposite of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And so it all comes down. So all these news outlets like want to do a story on like the brother of the dead girl who hoaxed his own family, and it's like so salacious and bizarre. And Russell, you know, they're really like we really do want to protect Matthew, and like he's still a teenager. Like, yeah, he did like very weird and hurtful, but like, yeah, that's being a teenager. So it's like we got to yeah. figure out how do we, you know, move past this and, and keep him protected. And Georgie's like, yeah, at this point, the family's doing worse than ever, especially June. She wasn't ready to let Alice go, and she wouldn't. June would not want to admit it, but she was devastated to find out there was no ghost. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, of course. Like, June is the one who's like, I really want right. there to be a ghost. But you right. know what's one person we haven't actually talked about this entire movie is what, who was Alice? Yes. Like, what was she actually like? And yes. this is when we're finally getting into, like, this is all well who and good. Who is this gal? Who is this girl? And so we hear from Frederick from Russell's work. He says, I always got the impression that June and Alice never got along, although they were very similar. Mm. And Georgie also says that, like, they always seemed very similar to me, but, like, it sort of became clear, like, June is a very private person and has, like, a private internal life. 
And it became clear that it was true of Alice as well. And this is like this amazing like moment. And I think this is why this is such a good movie. And it sort of rises above like, hey, it could just be a ghost story. Right. Is that like they interview both like June and her mother Iris about like basically how they related to one another in the family. Oof. And I think it's just sort of like how we sort of are understanding now like people with addiction and like other issues. It's like, well, there's a whole family problem. You right. know, it's not just like one person being like, can you believe this, this guy? Thing. It's like, yeah, yeah like th- there's a there's generational issues. There's yes. how do we deal with these things? And Iris, the grandmother, says like, I blame myself that like I'm a very private, closed off person. And I think I got it from my mother. And Iris says, I feel like I've never been able to fully give myself over to June. And I feel like June was like that with Alice. Like we're mm-hmm. very closed off to our yes. own children, yes. which is why I was like, Lake Mungo, Lake Mungo, colon, white people, come on. Yeah, come you know, on. It's sort of like— Open up. Yeah. and But at least they're able to sort of reflect on it. And June is also like, that's—like, I do feel like that's how I raised my daughter. And I just hope how, she knows how much I loved her. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it would be devastating to think that she didn't understand that, even though, like, you know, I have always hold, held part of myself back from her. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and parenting is hard. You know, I feel like they're able to, like, reflect on it in a way that, like, is very positive. But I'll tell you what I wouldn't do as a parent, Allison. Let Matthew, your teenage son, and, like, okay, like, it's been another year. Maybe he's 18. So, okay. But he's very young. He still lives at home. I would not let my teenage son go on a car trip with the psychic consultant Ray. No. As he does consultations across Victoria in August. It's just the two of them. No. No. And no, no, no. It's, a, no. it's a huge N.O. from me. So it's like, hey, I'd be like, hey, the past is past, but you can help your son right now and not let him drive with a psychic across Australia alone for three days. So ostensibly, they're staying in hotel rooms together. Oh. Like, what are you doing? A total stranger. And June's like, oh, Ray offered it, and Matthew jumped to the chance. I'm like, of course you did. His sister died. He faked her ghost. Everyone in town thinks he's a weirdo. He's obviously distraught. And you're letting him get in a car with a man you've met all of a half dozen times, who, and, believe, who has convinced you there's a ghost in your house. Yes. Anywho, so we see videos from their trip of all the clients visiting Ray, and Matthew says, you know, in, in voiceover, like, I realized, like, during that trip, like, how much I missed Alice, and that I would never see her again, and that's what Ray's clients were looking for. So in that way, I was also one of Ray's clients. It's like, I don't know if there's a psychic ethical board of ethics for psychics but i would call and be like be. this is inappropriate yes you wouldn't is. i wouldn't let a, like my teenage son drive across country with my orthopedist no why would i let him get in a car with a psychic with a psychic yeah especially after we know that he faked the ghost so it's sort of like so you're letting him have a relationship with this psychic even though you know that he was fake i don't know it just seems like a, a horrible idea yeah it's like really a hat on a hat of, like, bad ideas. It's like, he's a total stranger. He's also a psychic. He also is, like, in on, you know, believing in ghosts and this thing that my son— It's just, it's bad. And also, it's like, Ray, if you're such a good psychic, why didn't you know that Matthew was faking those photos? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So Matthew said, you know, he during the time we left, they took one of the cameras and he and Ray left the two cameras in the hallways of the house because Matthew still believes, despite the fact that he faked the photos, there was something in the house. And he said, and we were gone okay. for three days, so we couldn't have changed the tapes or altered the tapes. And I was like, when you say we, you mean you because you did you? them all, right. but okay. Yeah. I don't like Ray can do that. 
Yeah, Ray doesn't know what the, uh, We've seen Ray in action. He can't do anything. He can't do anything. So they get back on August 22nd. They check the tapes. Allison, they see Alice's ghost straight up standing in the living room. Mm. And so June is like, only me and Russell were in the house. We did not alter them. This seems to prove that Alice's ghost was in the house. Okay. And they interview um, Alice's friend, Kim. And they're like, do you believe in ghosts? And she says, well, I didn't used to. But now I, I do think that they do exist. And we hear Ray and Ray's like, ghosts are everywhere. They were all around us. And Jason, you know, um, Alice's boyfriend is like, again, I I don't know why it makes people feel better, but it does. I don't personally believe in ghosts. Mm-hmm. June, sort of like now even more perplexed by like new footage of Alice's ghost, goes back through the footage during the June 13th hallway ghost footage, the first mm-hmm. one we sort of saw. Yes. And she spots a second figure sort of half hidden in the background in another room. It's someone squatting in the dark in Alice's room. And while this isn't really that kind of horror movie, Allison, who will survive? Who will survive? I mean, I got to believe that everyone survives. Yeah, it's just sort of like, it just, we're not, it's not a high That's body not what's happening. It's not a body mean? count kind of film. Yeah, this is a rumination on grief and mm-hmm. spirituality and faith and the afterlife. And however, do you want to guess who's squatting in the dark? I mean, we know it's not any of the core family members or Ray because they weren't there. I don't think that Smeet is still in the mix. I um, wish. No. I wish. I feel like maybe Georgie? Okay, great. Great the, guess. The church? Fabulous. All right, people. We all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com, and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Okay, the answer is a character we have not met yet. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> June says, at first I thought it was Alice, then I realized it was our neighbor, Brett Tui. <laughs> and I'm like, Brett Tui? Brett Tui, get Brett Tui out of there. Game. So we see footage from September 2006. And it's of June finding a safe. Or, like, they keep calling it a safe. It's just a locked box in mm-hmm. Alice's room. And June's asking, what was this man, our neighbor, Brett Tui, doing in my house at night more than six months after my daughter's death? Why was he squatting in her yeah. room? Well, June searches Alice's room and finds a locked box, opens it. She finds a VH, VHS tape of Brett Tui and his wife, Marissa, having sex with Alice. <gasps> wow. And June... Yeah, and June says, Alice, who, by the way, is 16, underage, June says, Alice began babysitting for the Tuies in 2002 because the Tuies have two boys who are five and nine years old. 
So that means that she was babysitting at the very latest when she was 13, which means they were grooming her. Yes. It's like you knew her as a literal child. As a I mean, child. Like 16 is still a child. I want to be clear. But it's like 16 is a child, but her. 13 is really a child. And they've she's grown up with them as like adult figures. So it's sort of like, mm-hmm. I would hope, granted it's like 2008, but I hope by now people would be able to be like, this cannot be consensual no, in any way. No, it is not. And for a lot of different reasons, but so in the tape itself, we see like Alice is on the Tui's bed and like Brett's setting up the camcorder, which is also like you're making under, like you're filming it yourself having sex with an underage girl, like who you are close family friends with. Then we cut to Brett having full on sex with Alex while Marissa, Mrs. Tui, strips down and joins in. And Russell says, you know, I mean, we were all horrified. We couldn't believe it. We had no idea this was going on. And he said, like, I believe the Tuies are complicit in Alice's death. I feel like they alienated yeah. her from us and gave her a burden of that secret. And I understand what he's saying, but also, like, there's nothing in this to imply that, like, her yeah. death was a suicide or that right. they had any hand in it. Like, and I'll tell you that now. Like, that's not what's, okay. what's going to happen. Oh, okay. So it's sort of like what they did was wrong, but I don't think that she died because of that. Like, I right. think, unfortunately— De- like it was sort of the, the situation was unrelated to, but what they did was so fucked up, you know. Yes. And Russell says Brett was if Brett was I saw Brett around the corner I'd throttle him. And they interview like uh, Matthew and Alice's like female classmates, and they're all like, "Yeah, like Brett always seems so nice. Brett, Mister Tui, he'd always have us and all of our young nubile friends over and to swim at his house because he had a pool. So like Brett like used his pool to like host huge high school parties. Like Jason's there, Kim's there, we see Alice there, mm-hmm. and it's like inappropriate. If you do not have a teenager, you cannot host. You teen cannot parties. invite over the high school kids. No, 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 no. Nope. Mm-mm. Somebody who's kids are five and nine, and you're inviting over high schoolers. It's not like even like he was a coach or he was a teacher, like, right? Which would still be dubious, but like he has no connection None. to these high school kids. You are inviting them over. No, huge red flag. Huge. And all these girls, because they're like sixteen and stupid, they're like, "Wow, we never thought Alice would do something like that." It's like that's your takeaway that Alice was doing something like right. that. Like, not that this guy is absolutely, you know, and his wife who yes. also was in on it. Yes. You know, and. And Oy. so the documentarian, who I think also asked some sort of, like, dumb questions in order to, like, move the plot along, it's like, well, why do you think Alice had the tape? It's like, I, she was probably terrified of it getting out. Like, she was right. a teenage girl. And Russell's like, I think she didn't want them to have it. And, Correct. like, she didn't trust them. Like, obviously, this was, like— yes. Whatever the situation was, she herself knew it was not good. Mm-hmm. And that's why Brett broke in, and that's why he's on the tape, is that he broke in to try to find the tape in right. Alice's room. Could not find it. And Jew said, I'm just glad they know that we have the tape and this isn't over. Unfortunately, over the police station, we we have with Sergeant Drew in again. And she explains, the police have been trying to locate Brett and Marissa Tui and their family. They do not know where they went and the leads have dried up. So the Tuis left after, immediately after Brett un, was unsuccessful in looking for the tape. They sold their house and they moved away, presuming eventually the family would find it right. and expose them. And Russell says the cops told him, you know, even if we find the Tuies, they'll get a suspended sentence because they'll say the sex was consensual, which it does appear to be in the video. But also, she's 16. And also, it's like, you only see a clip of the video. So I'm like, unless you say, like, I absolutely consent to the— Like, even then, when she says, like, it's like, what are you talking about? You can't infer consent. And also, yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely not. 
So, you know, the interviewer asked Jason, Alice's boyfriend, like, do you know about Alice's involvement with Brad? He's like, if I had known, like, we wouldn't be going out. Like, but I I thought we were pretty good. I thought we were just dating. So Jason also didn't know about it. Okay. You know, and June's like, we're left with all these questions. Like, when did this begin? Was, like, did she think they were in a relationship? Was she in love with one of them? Like, right. What did she, it was, what did she think was going on? Like, we can't find them, and so we can't know. And uh, Alice's friend Kim was like, you know, I think the more I learned, it's more like I think I knew one Alice and her mom knew an Alice. And there was another Alice that, like, none of us knew. Mm -hmm. And in case you're like, wait a minute, their last name was the Palmers, and this is giving me Twin Peaks vibes. Absolutely. I believe that was intentional. (laughs) And I think it's sort of like, this is a great example. I feel like there's so many times where people are like, oh, that new movie sounds exactly like this other movie. This sounds very similar to Twin Peaks. Yes. But one, it's still different enough that you're exploring a lot of interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. Two, I don't know. There's only like a handful of things that horror movies are about. Yeah, it's like it'd be like there is a finite amount of like ideas. Like you, everything can be like made in different. Like you know, so many movies, like whatever, like movies or remakes of books or you know, and then like reference this and then like it's all good. But like, yeah, it's it's of course going to have the same DNA as something else. and I just wouldn't want people to be like, oh, well, it sounds too similar to this. Yeah, yeah some things are super similar. Yes. <clears throat> Midsummer, but still have value. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, this is a good example of like, I wouldn't have wanted Joel Anderson in his one film. I wouldn't want someone to have said to him, like, well, this sounds too much like Twin Peaks yes. or whatever. Because right. this is uh, itself like a very interesting, different. complete work yeah. and different enough, even if you're exploring like, you know, the, the timely like death of a, a teenage girl who was involved in some. Sex. Bad sexual dealings. Yeah. Um, and then, if that, okay, so you're like, wow, that's like a really horrible twist and like nobody knew and like Alice had to carry this. Allison, while June is going through Alice's diary, she finds a business card taped to the page marked July 12th, 2005. So okay. months, the summer before she died. Whose business card is it? Is it the psychic? It's Ray Kemeny, psychic consultant. So that implies that, one, Alice was going to the psychic consultant the summer right. before she died. Two, he knew the family. Yeah. This whole time. He knew time. her. He knew Alice, the girl who died. And next thing we know is we see the tape of Alice's consultation with Ray. And Alice is also, like, he's leading her, like, walking through through her house. Like, you know, walking through the hallway. And I'm like, Ray, what the fuck? You know, yeah, he's but- having Alice walk into her house the way he has June do it later. Right. And uh, the interviewer is like, so why didn't you tell the Palmers about this? And he's like, well, it wasn't yeah. an issue of lying. It was just that I was trying to respect Alice's wishes for confidentiality. You're not a lawyer. Like. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like, Do, what, it's I not just client, imagine, like, lawyer-client privilege. Like, Also, if you really were worried, then don't take them as a client. Be like, hey, right. sorry, um, I can't take you. If you really care about Yeah, refer them to another that, motel psychic. Exactly. And, but obviously, you didn't like, you were more intrigued about what was happening, you know. Right. Cut to June and Russell were like, yeah, so we don't didn't trust Ray anymore. So, whatever the fuck he was thinking, not being honest with us, that was, it felt like a betrayal, obviously. Of course. So, we're like, we're not working with you, Ray. I can't believe we let our teenage son travel Drive with you unattended for days, for days on end. Ray's like, I really did want to help June and the family. I admit, Alice, and like, I, she felt very, like, like, she was going through a lot of stuff. And what I really think they were resentful of me was, like, not being able to see Alice's eminent passing. 
And I'm like, they are right. That's absolutely a Isn't good that point. Isn't your job? Right. So I was like, it's one thing to lie. It's another thing to be like, you're such a bad psychic that you could, couldn't even tell her or us that you saw this coming. Right. You're a terrible psychic, right? You're just a guy. Also, and, and Ray's like, you know, when Alice came to see me, she was a very troubled person. Send her to an actual therapist. Yes. Tell her to go talk to her parents. Yes. Like, there are Correct. people who could actually help her it, with the stuff that was going on in life. Yes. And you didn't do that. And so we hear sort of, like, we hear June reading Alice's admission from her diary that she's having terrible dreams. Here is the dream that Alice is having. Okay. I had a dream last night. I was cold and wet. I felt heavy like I'd been drugged, and when I woke up, the sensation didn't go. I was feeling sick and confused, and I was starting to get scared. I wanted to talk to Mom. I stumbled into her room, and as I stood at the bed watching them, I was overcome with sadness, and the sadness turned to fear that I realized there was nothing they could do for me anymore. Everything seemed wrong. Then I realized that there was something wrong with me. I started to cry standing there at the foot of the bed. Which, if we recall was June's dream that we had heard about earlier. So Alice is having a premonition of herself as a ghost standing over her mother's bed, which her mother also was able to perceive after her death. Yes. You hate to hear it. I hate to hear that. And finally, we get to the titular, not even titular lie, the titular image. June flips the page in Alice's diary, and there's four days that says Lake Mungo, Lake Mungo, Lake Mungo, Lake Mungo. And so Lake Beautiful Lake Mungo is where Alice took a school trip in August 2005. So after she started to so have these dreams. a couple dreams, months yeah. before she died. So she's there with Kim and their friend Kate. So they go with a bunch of girlfriends just down there, you know, for a couple days. And June's like, you know, Alice said she had a good time, but she lost her cell phone, her bracelet, and her watch, which is a lot Ooh. to lose. That's a tough weekend. And finally, we see Kim's grainy footage of their trip to Lake Mungo. And apparently, Kim had shown it to Jason and when J- like months later. And Jason's like, I told June about it because it felt like we were keeping something from them if we didn't. Like, I didn't know if this had anything to do with what happened or what they're experiencing, but, like, here's the footage. And all the other girls are, like, really happy, and it's, like, this incredible, like, terrible quality, you know? Mm-hmm. But you can tell that Alice is very solemn and removed— and so between that and, like, her losing all of her stuff, Juna's like, it, did something happen on this trip? Right. And Allison, in the video, you can see that Alice is burying something at the foot of a tree. <gasps> in current day, Kim is talking to Cameron. She's like, I knew Alice was upset on the trip, and she lost her phone, but I just thought she was upset about that. Like, she didn't say right. anything to me about it, anything. And so I was just like, oh, she's, like, not having a good time. Like, well, like, at one point, they sort of run over and grab her. They're like, ah, like, trying to, like, cheer her up. However, it, it, from this other girl's phone, you see at a certain point, Alice walks away from the group, distressed, and the Palmers decide, we have to go to Lake Mungo to try to figure out what she buried. Lake Mungo, February Ooh. 2007. Mm, I feel like The I Palmers know go, and they're staying at, I know, they're staying at a cabin. And so they're like, well, we wanted to go, and we're going to dig at night so the tourists don't see us and be like, why are you digging under a tree? Correct. And they pretty much Correct. immediately find a bag, a plastic bag. And inside it's Alice's phone, bra- uh, bracelet, and watch. All of her most precious things. Allison, they're able to turn on her phone and see the footage Alice had taken that night at Lake Mungo. And we see the footage intercut with Alice's visit to Ray the psychic. And she tells mm-hmm. him, like we heard at the beginning, I feel like something bad is going to happen. 
I feel like something bad has happened. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way and it's getting close. Allison, in the video, a figure walks out of the darkness towards Alice. Who is the figure? I feel like I want to say one the, somebody from that married couple, but that can't be it. It's not Ray. Is it her brother? I'm guessing no. brother, but you're shaking your head. <clears throat> it is Alice's dead body for when she got pulled out of the dam. What? So <laughs> Alice is filming, and she sees her own dead body walk out of the walk darkness towards, towards her. Okay. And the dead body is the same image we saw when mm-hmm. Russell identified the body getting pulled out of the water. Mm-hmm. And Jude says, rightly so, there is no rational explanation for what Correct. she saw yes. on that phone. Absolutely not. There is not. <laughs> so we see the Palmers back at the cabin. It's like torrentially raining. And we also see footage of Alice like rejoining the girls as it rains at Lake Bungo. And they grab and they're like, ah, like running through the rain. And they all sort of have a different understanding of what this means. And Jude says, I think Alice knew she was going to die. I think she saw that. And she buried her items as sort of like a symbolic, like a ritual that she's going to pass on. Okay. Russell says, I don't know that anybody is convinced that they're going to die. And I think Alice saw a ghost. And she interpreted it as a ghost. But she wasn't to know that it was her own ghost. Yes. Matthew says, I believe she recorded the future coming to get her. And we see the the Palmers fly back home, leaving Lake Mungo. And by the time they return home, they said the house felt different. It felt calm. And basically, I think what we're to think is, like, the things that Alice would have wanted her family to know, the two E's, she saw Ray the psychic, her dreams, the footage, all the stuff that she felt like she couldn't tell them, they now know. They now know. And Jude said, I think that was her unfinished business. Like, she wanted us to know more about her before she could leave. Mm Mm-hmm. Six months later, the family feels like they're starting to heal. We see, like, Matthew and Russell go for a run together with the dog. And Matthew's, like, hanging out with, like, kids. And he's, like, flirting with a girl at the popcorn stand. And they're really, like, starting to move on to a new life. And like you said at the beginning, they or what you would do, they decide they're going to move to a new house. And they have mm-hmm. a going-away party. And June said, it's still hard. I forget she's not coming back. And June's final consultation with Ray, we see Ray guiding. Ray is still in the mix. <laughs> I, the I, the effect that <laughs> like, this this motherfucker they would even talk to this man again. Yeah, I'd block is his number. Absolutely, completely insane. Yes, and uh, but they're a very forgiving people. Mm-hmm. And um, Ray guides June to, through the family house, and then we see it juxtaposed with Alice's consultation. And it's like they can both perceive each other in the house at different points in time. But mm-hmm. even in their dream, they can't talk to one another. And I think it's just sort of about, like, how even in your immediate family, you can't connect with people and you can't, yes. like, be honest about your emotions and, like, you know, just be there. And and sort of you pass that on to your the next generation. Like, you, your daughter, this crazy fucked up thing is happening to her. Both your neighbors are recording child pornography with right. her, and also she is seeing a specter of her own dead body, feels like she cannot tell you. And it's yes. sort of like, how we move through the house, but we're ghosts to each other. I think that mm-hmm. we're supposed to. Yes, I, I, and I it, like that. And it sort of ends on this very sad note where it's like, Alice and her consultation is like, It's my mom. I don't think she knows I'm there. Alice doesn't to you. And it's sort of like they're always going to sort of be lost to one another because 
Alice is gone, you know, right. and she was not, her mother wasn't able to, her parent, her family wasn't able to ha- connect with her that way right. when she's alive. And we see the Palmers pack up the house and we hear Alice say of June, you know, in this, the consultation, like, she's going now, she's gone. And the family drives away. And Allison, in a photo of Matthew, Jr. and Russell in front of the house before they leave, we see Alice's ghost standing in the window behind them. And over the credits, we see snippets of different events, including the Withers footage. We see what appears to be Alice's ghost, as if saying she really was near the dam. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the doctored photo of the backyard that Matthew made. And if you look in the very opposite corner, you could see the actual ghost of Alice. Ooh, I just got chills. I know. It's a really good one. I was I was really happy about that. This is this is a this is good. Oh, I had no I idea what to, to think say. from the title because I feel like Lake Mungo feels like very slasher. Yes, I agree. Lake Mungo feels like they're, they're going to go on vacation or rent a cabin and just start getting murdered. Yeah, I had that's a similar exactly. thought. That's all I thought. And then when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, okay. And now hearing all of it, I'm like, wow, what a different movie than the, t- you know, I don't, I don't know if it's the right title for like what this movie contains. Yeah, I guess maybe it adds a level of like, yeah, it does feel like it's real. I also forgot to say when, um, when Ray, so Ray calls them as like, can I, do you mind if I come by and like just, you know, see you for one last time? And she was like, well, I didn't think it would hurt. It's like, I would be punching I'd that be, guy in the face. I'd be like, get yeah. the fuck out of my house. Get the fuck out of my life. Yeah. So, Allison, um, what would be some fatal mistakes that you think um, happened in the film to our characters? Made by our characters, I guess. Fatal mistakes. I mean, I think, you know, having closed familial relationships with people because, you know, then when they die, there is zero resolution for you because there are all these things that went unsaid. Okay, but maybe a more optimistic way to look at it is let's be more honest with each other so we can have better relationships while we're alive. Yes, correct. So that we don't have to be ghosts to each other during life life and death. Yes. Um, I think also getting involved with uh, this loser, the psychic, Ray. Letting your son of any age, but especially a, a young teenage high school boy, go on a trip with of anyone, a psychic. Yes. Who you have, you met on the, through his being on the radio. Right. A huge mistake. Huge, huge, huge Who also huge was mistake. bad at his job. Terrible at his job. Yeah, a bad psychic. It wasn't even a good a psychic. A bad psychic? Like, get out of here, guy. Yeah, exactly. That's the second documentary about Matthew exploring why my parents let me go on a road trip with a, yeah, a, that's psych, really, a terrible that's psychic. Yeah, that's another borders on true crime. I also think, like, um, another mistake is sort of, like, um, uh, it's, like, um, relying on the police to look for the twoies. Because the police are very much like, well, if we find them, you know, like, they're just going to plead out. So it's like, so you're not going to look for them? So we're not going to do anything? They're not James Bond. They have two kids. They have to be enrolled in school somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, they're, you think they changed all of their names? They're members of society. Yeah. You can find them. We had the internet. You know what I mean? Like, they probably had right. Facebook by now. Absolutely. Do a little digging. A little. Um, and then finally, Allison, where would you place, like, Mungo on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. It's a tricky one because it's, mm-hmm. like, not a, you know, 
I think like the things that are scary about her, I think like this is a movie that feels like it really benefits from the found footage vibe. Yes, like, very much Like just so. this as narrative film would probably be very dark and very intense, but I don't think it would be as scary as yes. kind of like, at least from the trailer it feels. And like, and like the images of her ghost in the background of the things are is is very scary. I think, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, again, I've said this before. I'm a sucker for the found footage effect on anything. I think it, yeah. it just it, it it gets me. You know. Yeah. Oh, so I'll give it a six. Um, I also think found footage, uh, like every great horror movie, <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, puts you in a situation for you to constantly be scanning the. Um, yes what you're seeing mm-hmm. to see something pop out or ghost. And I feel like found footage is like the perfect setup for that mm-hmm. of like, where, where am I looking? How am I supposed to be watching this? Like what, is it a shadow? Is it a face? Um, yes. But you're right. I, I think I really liked it. I mean, like, no, like I, I don't want to, I've only watched it once, but like, I would absolutely, I think this is a fantastic movie. I think it's mm-hmm. incredible. Joel Anderson, if you're out there, I hope you get a Great chance job. to make another one. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but yeah, I would say certain moments were scary, but it's more, it's more of a rumination. It's more of a, it's about, you know, family and, and grief and, and that's not in itself very scary, just very well done. So yeah, I think a six, I want to say a six too. I think a six feels right. And and if you, if you are a listener who watches, who can watch horror movies, definitely watch this one. I I thought it was really fabulous. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I guess I just uh, the I only mean, other thing that comes to mind. Yes, is to uh, ask all of you at home or unfinished please. business is uh, asking you to <laughs> please keep, keep it spooky. spooky. Bye. Bye. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. 